welcome to the Office 365 Developer Podcast, the only show focused on Office 365 development where Rich and I talk to the experts from all over the globe coding on the Office 365 Developer Platform. For more information on Office 365 Development, please visit dev.office.com and follow us on the hashtag Office365Dev. Okay, and welcome to episode 75 of the Office 365 Developer Podcast. How are you going, Rich? How's your uh, weekend been? Oh, lots of, uh, lots of re-imaging computers and stuff over the weekend. Roll, roll, what happened? Episode 75, man. It's like three quarters of the way to 100. I know. We're getting very close. We're going to have to have some major thing happen on episode 100. We have to outdo uh, the Cloud Road or the Cloud Podcast. Yeah, where uh, they had the wives on. I know. But yeah, I had a... Just a silly development, like, just I, I missed a checkbox on something, and I thought it was my IDE, so I went and, like, did a, a full update, and it was just a long, long period of doing updates and re, reapplying tooling and things like that when it was ended up just being one simple little checkbox. you got to love when those happen. Yeah, it's... Um it's certainly a test, that's for sure. I um I had a similar thing on another vein. I switched mobile operating systems. So I've jumped off of iOS where I had my iPhone 6S, 5S, 6S, whatever one didn't have, the one before the latest one, 6, Six. to a Samsung Note 5 running Android's latest kind of operating system. Mainly because I kind of got sick of the iPhone and the ability to customize it. It's kind of very much out of the box download apps and the OS just didn't have the capabilities to do notification customizations to the level I wanted to. And where I've been traveling, I got really, really sick of having to, every time I travel, turn on data roaming and then manually go through the 80 apps I have on my phone and turn off data for the ones I didn't need while I was in the country. And then when I get back in the country in the US, turn them all back on again. And there was no like switch. They just switched them all on and switched them all off or had profile type things. Mm-hmm. Whereas Android, for instance, does some really nice stuff around data roaming that the iPhone doesn't. So far, so good. It's It's been three years since I've been on an Android device. So it's certainly changed a fair bit. But um, yeah, I'm really enjoying getting to grips with it. It was about time I got nagged by AT&T for a new phone and figured that was the best way to go. Yeah, I, I carried an Android basically when I am flying internationally. I'll go get a SIM card wherever I'm at. Um, and I've done that a few times just because the, the Android device I have is one of the only unlocked ones. Um, I've liked it a lot. Uh, you know, to me, I've... It, it, I, I think there's a little bit more structure in, in iOS, and that's kind of what's kept me there. Uh, actually, my, my wife just got a, a 6S Plus. That thing's huge. It's like a phablet, man. Yeah, so I've got Note 5. is pretty big. Is it? Yeah, it's on the same par as that and the Samsung S6 Edge Plus, whatever it's called. <laughs> but um, no, it's different. It's always good to kind of try a different operating system as well because you can learn about different UXs across different devices. But the yep. big learning thing about all of this was I installed OneDrive on it. I installed Outlook on it. I installed Skype, Yammer, Link, OneNote. What else do I got that's Microsoft? I think they're the main ones I'm using on my home screen here. And the beauty of cloud services is I didn't really have to do anything. Like as soon as I added Outlook and um, configured my Exchange accounts with contacts, everything was kind of up and running um, pretty much across the whole brand new device, which I remember in the old days, you had to kind of go in the shop and they'd transfer phone numbers from different SIMs and then it was a nightmare trying to get photos off and so forth. So picking an ecosystem doesn't necessarily mean it locks you into an operating system if you stick with Microsoft. I think if I'd have if I'd have stuck with Apple Photos and Apple Music, I would have been locked in, whereas I'm on Spotify, which roams operating systems, and I'm using OneDrive for all my photos. So I'm good to go. Yeah, you know, I, even even things like the the different watches, the wearables these days, you know, I, I thought it was really interesting when Microsoft came out with the band. Yeah. The fact that the the health app, the Microsoft Health is available on, on all the platforms, whereas if you look at some of the other things like the Apple Watch and some of the Android watches, they're really, you can't really use them on anything but the, you know, if it's an Android watch, you have to use it on Android. And if right. you have an Apple Watch, you have to use it on 
on Apple. So, you know, I think it's cool the direction we're going for sure. Yeah, it's funny. I've been using the band now over the watch for a while, and um, it, it's certainly something that I've preferred in the sense that it's much better at GPS health tracking stuff than the Apple Watch is. And in most cases on the Apple Watch, the notifications were a bit more complex than the band, but you still had to get out your phone to do anything. Like There wasn't really any way you could action anything off the watch. So I just prefer having a band and wearing an old-fashioned watch for kind of what I'm used to in terms of I've got a bo- watch box full of 20 watches that I like to rotate through. But um, yeah, definitely with the Apple Watch, you can't switch over to Android or Windows Phone. And I've noticed the Android app quality is a lot higher than last time I tried it with the usual suspects like Facebook and Flipboard and uh, Yammer and, and so forth. I'm actually finding that the quality is as good as what it was on the iPhone, whereas before it wasn't as good when I tried the Android ecosystem. And then obviously, you know, people will ask, why didn't you go to Windows Phone? Well, for obvious reasons. I, the first day when I bought this phone, I installed 40 different apps from the Play Store. And I did actually look through and see what was available on Windows Phone, and about six of them were actually available. So that's why I am not moving over to Windows Phone just yet. Have you? Um, I know it's not really all that great for a developer, but have you had a chance to play it all with Continuum? I have, yes, and it is very cool as a feature. Not necessarily for me, though. I think I'd always have a laptop in my hand whenever I'm doing work remotely, but there's definitely a use case for the enterprise uh, with kind of remote teleworkers or people who don't need full-fledged laptops where you could buy someone a f- corporate phone and have them have the ability to use it for email by plugging into a dumb terminal somewhere. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I think that's going to be where a Windows phone is popular. But in the broad reach consumer, until they nail this app gap, it's just not, not going to get there. Yeah. Anyway, so this week, Office 365 related, because that was on a real tangent there. Um, but I'm, everyone has a cell phone. So it's related to everybody. The most exciting bit of news was uh, Microsoft Find Time, which was built by the Microsoft Garage team here in Redmond. And it's an Outlook add-in. Now, we've talked a lot about uh, Boomerang in various keynotes and demos that we do internally that allows you to kind of do really cool things in Outlook, like remind me if this email doesn't get replied to within X number of hours or days and inject uh, my availability into my email, um, into the body of my email before I send it. And what Boomerang also did was a voting mechanism, which said pick a few slots and then have the ability for people to kind of, on the other recipient end, be able to pick which slot is most applicable to them and, and, and then that way you could make a decent decision on the meeting invite what find time does is it's an outlook add-in as well and it uses adding commands so in outlook 2016 uh, you get the find time button in the ribbon when you do a new message and when you do that a task pane shows up and whoever's in your two line or whoever you put in your two line after you've got the task pane up and interestingly they're doing a a for loop watching that field because there is no eventing right now um, that if you do add anyone to the two loop, it goes and adds them to that task pane, and then it shows for the d- the date you've got selected, which is default today, what available slots there are. Now, this is a feature that's actually built into Outlook, and when you're doing scheduling meetings on the right hand side, there's a suggested times area by based on your availability and people internally on that calendar. But what's really neat about Find Time is it will do some smarts around um, who your recipients are and trying to grab their information as well, and even if they're external. Um, but also it does voting, and you can actually see who's voted for what. So it's a little bit more advanced than what um, Boomerang does for that particular feature that Boomerang has um, that Find Time have put together. So if you haven't already tried it, definitely go and uh, get, get that from there. And I believe they have a short URL somewhere in this post. Where was it? It was on their blog, but you can download Find Time from findtime.microsoft.com. And um, you'll be able to see there that... Uh, you know, you can go and download it directly into your account and it'll appear in your, your Outlook 2016 experience or um, in OA it comes through when you go add and add in. So have you used this yet? I've been using it for the last few days and it's been really neat. Yeah, I've been playing with it. I mean, like you said, um, it, it does have new capability that isn't there in Outlook to begin with, but 
what I really like about it is it's it's a kind of a, a very modern clean user experience. Whereas, yeah. you know, what you normally get are just, hey, in this block of time, there are two conflicts and then you have to go further to see what those are. Yeah. You know, to me, this provides um, a kind of a cooler interface and, you know, the voting component is really interesting. So I think it's pretty neat. Yeah. And actually, one of the other cool bits is, is if you do suggest like four or five times, it actually blocks them off in your calendar. It puts hold in front of the title of each event and then once everyone else, once everyone on the invite has voted it picks one and then it removes all the other areas that are held now this can be good and bad because then you start getting duplicates on your calendar which might be misinterpreted as you being busy when you're not but i believe when it does the holds if i look in my calendar right now when it does it it does it with a um tentative as well so you can actually see um, what's going on there so it's a really neat little scheduling thing both for people internally in your organization and also externally in your org so it's cool to see us building add-ins that are using our new platform extensibility and working closely in this case with the outlook extensibility team to get that thing shipped and out the door and then one little one I found um, while scouring blogs.office.com. A lot of the news is exciting to see, but I've personally, we hear it a lot internally just through being in building one where all this stuff is being talked about all day long. But um, there's a, a guy in, in the um, office marketing team that actually does this what's new every month, very much like our monthly digest, but he does a YouTube video as well. And he goes through all the new things that are available in Office 365. Now, I'm not going to go through um, all of these, but it's worth um, mentioning, you know, like there's some really cool things that have been updated inside of various areas of Office 365 business and, you know, personal and home and university as well. And they kind of talk to you about like kind of OneNote class notebooks and the updates there and Skype for business capabilities. And it links off to all the other blog posts that are on blogs.office.com, um, including our developer updates, which is great. So Andy O'Donnell, O'Donnell puts that blog post together, and then there's a cool video that explains like what's new in Office 365 Planner and updates in Sway and updates in Delve and updates in Office 365 Groups and what's changed in Skype for Business. So if you're interested in kind of that on a monthly cadence, the, the what's new post is really useful for that. Does he, have you watched the full video yet? I haven't, no. I, I, was, I, I like the fact that they did... Uh, call out your the dev digest that you help aggregate um is that mentioned in there at all do you know it, i don't think it is no i think they just demo features in yeah. office 365 but it's nice that they actually link to the dev digest in the in the post itself cool so that's really cool and sorry i'll mention this one as well rich because this was something that came up um when i was in a meeting last week was one of the common things that we hear now and i know you've done some work on this as well is MSDN documentation around if I'm building an office add-in, specifically really where I'm building maybe a task pane add-in that might live in Excel, Word, or PowerPoint, we have the ability to check when the add-in runs, because it's just HTML page in iframe, what host I'm in. So where am I living right now? And also then check what's supported from the API, because... With the release of the Word and Excel APIs, like the enhancements there, there are some APIs that are specific to the host you're in. And so we need to be able to check whether those particular APIs are available in the context that I'm in. And so this article actually goes through and explains the best practices for how you should do that, which should make it easier. Because I, I'm finding, I was quite surprised how many partners have built add-ins that the same code base is used across the different hosts rather than building an add-in, one for PowerPoint, one for Word, and one for Excel. A lot of our samples really are specifically targeted around Word APIs, and therefore it is really assuming that you're only ever going to run this in one host. Have you, What work have you done around this, Rich? I would say most of the things that I've done that have been across multiple workloads have always been more of the generic APIs. You know, the new ones that where it gets more specific, and, you know, we've had we've had client specific coercion types, you know, things like HTML and open XML, those were word specific. Uh, but, you know, in general, most of the things that I've done that have been targeted for mo more than one client have really been around those generic APIs. But this is, like you said, it's being, it's with 2016, this becomes really crucial that you know how to do it and that you are doing it the right way so that, you know, you don't have JavaScript errors and things like that in your add-in. 
And so it's good to have, you know, we had a, the community blogged on it. Who was it? Was it Simon? I think that did a post. Someone did a post. He did. Yeah. Simon did one recently on this too. Yeah. Um, and now having some official guidance off on MSDN, I think will be um, really good yeah. for those partners that are building things. You bring up a good point as well, is it's not just what host I'm in, in the current version of 2016. It's also, am, am I running on the iPad or am I running on the Windows version of Office 2013 and not 2016? Because there's certain things like add-in commands that we will have in preview for Word, PowerPoint and Excel coming shortly, which we announced at Connect a few weeks ago, that will only actually appear in the 2016 version of the client in Windows, not the 2013. And what's interesting is with Outlook, we will we'll actually backport that so that the adding commands for Outlook that you see in the ribbon will actually also appear in Outlook 2013 of Windows Desktop 2. But right now, we're not currently doing that for Word, PowerPoint, Excel. So if that's something you feel is really, really important, we'd love your feedback on user voice around that. Um, especially while we're in the preview phase, because I know the program managers are very keen to do that work, but they need to get a good in- understanding about what's what priority that should be and how important it is to, to you guys developing this stuff for your products, both externally to customers and also for your own internal customizations as well. Yeah, and one of the things, if you go down into this um, article, um, it talks about doing runtime checks with JavaScript, and it has this concept of a re- a requirement set and like checking if that's supported. So it's, it's, again, it's looking to see if something that you're about to call is actually going to be supported and where it's, where that add-in is running. And so one of the other uh, links we'll have in the, the podcast notes is the full list of those add-in requirement sets. So it goes through all the different requirement sets that are there, like the, you know, Excel API, Word API, active views, different binding things, so you can do those checks in your code. So there's a, a pretty nice list of those. And again, that's all on MSDN. Yes, definitely useful reference documentation that we uh, we are getting better at kind of getting out quicker and also making it more discoverable as well because there's some work going on to improve the Office add-in documentation, the way you navigate around from page to page as well rather than kind of relying on search to discover individual pages. Yep. And then what else have we come up against uh, this week, Rich? Well, you know, uh, we finally... Finally, it's been around forever, and if you spend time in Azure, it's been annoying you forever, is try the new portal experience. Well, the new portal for Azure is finally generally available, and so um, it's considered production. What do you? Th- what are your thoughts, Jeremy? Do you tend to stick to the old or the new? So I stick to the old because Azure Active Directory isn't in the new portal yet. That's right. So as much as I love, and I actually do really like the new Blade UI, but I because I don't because I have to flip back to the current Azure Management Portal um, to be able to create applications and edit permissions of applications. Um, I don't find myself going in the new portal too much because you can still do everything you do on the old portal in the new one in terms of where I usually touch, which is really websites and, um, especially now playing with power apps, some of the, um, the, the API management stuff as well. Yeah. I find myself obviously for Azure AD, um, I stay to with the old just because that, that's the only place you can do it. Uh, but I do find myself going into the new for a lot of things like the API apps. Um, I do a lot of things with document DB because I'm a big, like no SQL fan. And so unfortunately that's, again, you have to use the new portal to use some of those newer features. Anyway, it's there. Um, so definitely check it out. I would say, I don't think, I, I don't know what the, the roadmap is for the old portal. I think there's probably going to be a pretty long runway for that being available and certainly before they would ever do anything with it, all the you know capabilities would have to be in the new portal. But I would say you probably want to get a little bit familiar with the way it's laid out. It is it's a scroll to the the right type of user interface. It keeps moving off, and then you have if you want to go back to the beginning, you have to scroll all the way to the left versus being more of a vertical application. So yeah. I would say get used to. Um, you know, that interface, because um, my guess is that that's where most of the investment is going. And make sure you have a scroll wheel, which does left and right horizontal scroll as well as vertical scroll is my other bit of a tip. Yep. Because it's very much like the Windows 10 apps where you have to kind of scroll left to right, right to left to get to certain things. And you always find yourself moving your mouse down to that horizontal scroll bar to do anything with it. Yep. 
And then another one here we have, which is um, by Henrik Gustafsson. Again, that's good feedback that you should make it more obvious who you are when you have blog posts going crazy on Twitter. This one's really neat. It's the uh, a bit of a discussion point, really, around the PMP taxonomy picker versus the SharePoint taxonomy picker. Now, I used to do a lot with the taxonomy picker and manage metadata when I was a consultant back in Australia, and that UI wasn't great for um, anything out of that kind of that 60% of why you would actually use this stuff. And um, he does a really good job of explaining things like uh, instant suggestions, so kind of like type type as you go, type suggestions, and um, paging of result sets versus scrolling of um, result sets, and um, adding new terms to an open set directly in line, and then obviously the stability aspects and the ability to customize. So it's a really good kind of write-up, and I'm guessing the reason that he'd written this in the first place was that he probably had to do this for a customer and wanted to kind of do the pros and cons in a way that was easy for the customer to make a decision on which way they went with it. Yeah. But yeah, it's really neat to see that discussion kind of written out as a blog post. So thank you for doing that. You know who wrote the t- taxonomy picker? Um, the original taxonomy picker? No, I don't. Well, the, the PNP one, at least. Oh, oh I, I don't know. I could go and check in GitHub. That was me. Was it you? It. Yeah, this is, yeah. This is this is basically critiquing your work. I know, I know. What's funny is um, when we, fr- we were going to do like the first official cut of PNP, and this was one of those like on the wish list things. And I had built like almost all of it for various different projects. And Vesa and Frank and a bunch of other folks said, well, do you think you could get it in before we do this? And, <laughs> and so I, I, I basically organized it all on a weekend and built it as a jQuery extension. So it is dependent upon jQuery, which I'm starting to not like quite as much. But um, it was it was one of those things that if you start getting into all the details of comparing the the out of the box taxonomy picker, there are so many little details that are hard to get right. And so yeah. he's what he's gone through is is found all those little details that where things are different, like you know some of the ways that it scrolls. But um, I, I haven't really I've kind of handed it off after I created it, and other people have have picked this up. But um, you know the idea was is you know, that's one of those things that you would think would be really hard to do um, in like a provider hosted app. But, um, you know, this, you know, the PMP stuff makes that possible. So it's cool to see someone uh, becoming a fan of it. He even says in here he wants to see it evolve and have it win the taxonomy picker battle on all fronts. So wow. that makes me proud. <laughs> that is good. It's nice to kind of, I mean, seed something like that in the community and see it grow. There's some great examples of that in PNP. It's been amazing to see that community kind of really get in there. And um, it's nice to see that it's currently growing out of just being very SharePoint orientated and focusing a lot on uh, the APIs all up in Microsoft Graph and also Office add-ins too. So there's a bunch of work we'll be doing there to kind of really improve the depth and breadth of PNP as well and kind of leverage that kind of the, I guess, the excitement. And there's a big community around it already, which is great. Yep. And then um, Simon Yeager's been on a bit of a tear again, Rich, as well. And it looks like he's uh, been currently still focused on Office add-ins, and he's had a good go at explaining about UI Fabric and some of the links off to uh, some of Fabric and the bit, the benefits you get from typography and the colors and page layout flow, leveraging logos and, and padding within add-ins and, and so forth. Have you done anything more with um, UI Fabric recently? Well, I mean, I, I would say anything that I'm, I'm building that is you know targeting the Office platform uh, with with the exception of maybe some mobile applications, I I tend to use this, and even in some mobile applications, I haven't done like a Cordova uh, app for for a mobile device that used Fabric. That might be an interesting blog post for someone that does Cordova. But you know, definitely, if I'm building an Office add-in or a standalone website, I will try to incorporate it just so that it you know it it's an accelerator and it it'll make it look like Office. So. Definitely. Yeah, so that's a good good little article. And, you know, again, the, the fabric stuff, if you go to dev.office.com and you forward slash fabric, it'll jump to their their home site where it kind of explains all the links off to the various different bits and pieces that f- relate to fabric there as well. And 
I just find that it just instantly makes your add-ins and web applications look so much more professional when you start using those those different library resources as well, which is cool. Yep. And then Vaser um, has been posting some stuff on MSDN on his on his personal blog. The one the ones he was walking about this week was fixing timeout exceptions on CSOM based site collection creation. So there's a, there's a ton of stuff there. He's got around um, threading and uh, sleeping threads and and trying to uh, renew that. And what they've done is they've wrapped that in a special method so that you don't have to kind of always write that yourself. And he's also done it in a PowerShell command as well, where there is an issue with on-premises where sending the IIS website execution timeout won't... It, it causes some hoops on that timeout stuff. And so he's explained how you can kind of get around that in an on-premises world as well. So some useful content that Vase is sharing there on his blog. Again, it's been a while since I've done any SharePoint on-premises work. Have you touched anything recently? Uh, my goal is to not provision a 2016 farm. Um, that's that's my goal. So <laughs> I, I've done some on-premises stuff like in the, the last couple of years, but you know, nowadays to me, I really want where things are hosted to be more of a transparent thing. So yeah, yeah. And then on the same line, Steve Curran actually, uh, who's an MVP, and he actually has put together a post on his SharePoint Field Notes blog which I've been using for a long, long time, where he started to document some of the things that are showing up API-wise in SharePoint Server 2016 preview, nice. which is which is really neat. So for, it's really useful if you're a SharePoint developer on-premises, you're not touching SharePoint Online, so you've been ignoring all the stuff we've been talking about publicly around SharePoint Online remote APIs. And so he started to kind of cover some of the things that are showing up, like sp.move copy util. Um, which is available on underscore API. Or another one he's got here is the fact that you can do batch requests as well, so it makes it easier to move files in batch rather than doing on individual cases. So there's some really neat kind of aspects from someone who is an on-premises developer, isn't in the cloud yet, but wants to know what's coming in SharePoint 2016 development-wise. So big thanks to Steve for doing that. And then there's one last post here, which uh, we've, we've kind of picked up this week. Did you want to talk about that one a bit? Yeah, so this is uh, Mark Rackley, and, and Mark has kind of been known for someone that can take a SharePoint side and use a little bit of JavaScript and really transform it um, and transform the user experience just by putting some, think of it as inline JavaScript or something that's in like a, uh, a, a script web part or a content editor web part. And so um, Rackley's had this concept of being able to create tabs out of content editor controls or different web parts on a page. And, and so one of the things that he did, he, he calls it tabify your SharePoint forms. And so he's got a post here that talks about being able to uh, introduce some script on a page to take different um, form control or form form web parts and being able to set those up as a set of tabs. And so cleaning things up, having things like maybe more of like a wizard-based thing where you have step one, step two, step three. Um, and he talks about how easy that can be implemented with his Tablify uh, script. Yeah, he does a very good job in the YouTube video of explaining all that stuff as well, which is well worth watching if you are doing anything along those lines, for sure. So um, that's all the updates for this week. If we um, move on to the next part of the show, which is to talk about the hackathons. Now, You've just recently come back from Santa Clara, right? I did. I was in Santa Clara last week, and we were at our very first 100% mobile development hackathon. So I have some interesting feedback of that, but it was it was basically AndDevCon, which is an Android conference in, in Silicon Valley. And um, basically, I, I don't remember what the how many developers there. I heard there was something like, you know, in the like 2000 range of, of uh, Android developers. But uh, it was kind of interesting. You know, a lot of times when we've gone to these these hackathons, it's been pretty broad. You could build everything from a, you know, standalone applica- web application to add-ins to, you know, maybe, I don't know that we've seen a lot of mobile uh, over the, the first few hackathons we've done, but this was 100% mobile. So it was pretty interesting. Yes. Yeah, I mean, we've done quite a few now. We did um, the SharePoint Europe one in, in Stockholm. And um, again, that was more, again, SharePoint audience. And so we kind of saw a lot of SharePoint-related hacks, um, a lot actually using Office add-ins in either Outlook, Word, PowerPoint, or Excel. 
And then prior to that, we had Angular Connect as well, which was a, a web-based Angular conference. And we saw them mainly kind of looking at the Microsoft Graph APIs with mail calendar contacts and files. And I'm, I'm guessing with AndEvCon, you saw the same thing, right? People weren't maybe jumping directly onto the SharePoint site because they're not familiar with SharePoint outside of our ecosystem, but they are familiar with concepts such as your mail, calendar, individual contacts and files. What kind of things were built? You know, it was interesting. Um, I, I didn't really know what to expect with with uh, doing a, a mobile-only scenario. You know, I didn't know if people would come in with like an app they already had and maybe try to fit in some of our APIs. And to be quite honest, and we can talk about the specific projects, but in a lot of cases, a lot of it was like kind of reinventing a mobile app that Microsoft had. So for instance, there was a, a group that did a whole bunch with the OneNote APIs. And in a lot of ways, it was kind of like OneNote, but they it, the experience of kind of rebuilding that, there was another group that kind of built like a little mail client that used all the mail APIs. So, um, you know, it was, I, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know if people were going to come up with these, you know, wild scenarios of, um, you know, crazy fun things that just kind of plugged into the APIs. But in a lot of ways, I saw a lot of like utility uses of, of our APIs. Not a whole lot of SharePoint other than um, obviously there were some OneDrive usage uh, where it was just getting to files, but not necessarily using things like site containers or things like that. But, you know, it was it was a cool it was it was cool to see. Definitely, I would say that uh, we, we sometimes struggle with people that do standalone applications, getting them registered. So going through like the app registration process, getting an app ID, getting a client secret. Uh, the one thing I would say is, and I don't know, I, I'm going to attribute it to the fact that we've improved the getting started experience. So now you can go to the app registration tool and it will, you, you have more permissions available to you. Um, it, it'll do things like set implicit flags automatically. Uh, that that an entire getting started process is better. On top of that, I got the feeling that the, these Android developers had dealt with things like OAuth more, and so it was kind of second nature to them. It really, we didn't have to go through as much hand-holding of understanding the OAuth process with, with Azure AD. So it, to me, we had people calling APIs within 30 minutes in wow. a lot of cases. Okay. Yeah. And we've brought up a new dev.office.com forward slash Android page where you know, we specifically build it for that audience so that people could get to samples. Uh, I think one of the most important things for people that are Android developers there is we'd actually build out a flow, which is step-by-step, -step, which is hosted in GitHub, which you wrote, yep. that allows people kind of with nothing on their environment uh, to register the, the app using the app registration tool, like you just mentioned, but then just to kind of from Android Studio, new project, get the SDK down or get the ADOR libraries down and then call those APIs. Yeah, and another thing I think helped is, um, and this is something that's unique to native applications. And, you know, without going into all the details on this podcast, we do today, there's a difference between a native application and a web application. Native applications, one of the unique constraints is they're inherently multi-tenant. And so one of the unique things about a multi-tenant native app, and the other thing is there's no secret so a lot of times when we publish samples out to GitHub, we'll remove the secret out of the, the sample. Well, in this case, the there is no secret, so we don't have to remove anything. And two, it's already multi-tenant. So users can literally go and clone an Android project that we have out on GitHub and just run it. They don't have to do anything. They can just run it as is. And what we found is that a lot of people found that helpful in like, like kind of like a simple hello world sample to clone it and then just use that as their starting point. And then just from there, add controls, add more API calls. And it was, a, to me, it was like, I'd call it a little hackathon accelerator by having that Hello World sample available to them. Yeah, and so that's available. Where would people be able to kind of dig into that and see that, Rich? Well, the sample that you talked about, the step-by-step -step guide, yeah. um, that has the completed sample. So you can pull down that completed one. But yeah. really any of the projects that we have that are Android related are literally clone and run. Yeah. So the art curator sample, which is really cool, um, you can clone it and run it, um, and it'll just work in your tenant. So, you know, either one of those. The um, the property manager takes a little bit more kind of setup. You need to set up 
some of the other things in SharePoint to get it fully running. But even that one is really, uh, from a mobile side, it is clone and run. It just takes some setup, whereas Art Curator and the step-by-step -step kind of Hello World sample, they just work. Yeah, see, Art Curator, I mean, it relies on sample mails with attachments in it, which it does create for you. Whereas Property Manager, I mean, I just recently wrote down a bunch of what APIs Property Manager touches, and it's kind of going off the video portal, it's going off of um, SharePoint sites, it's going off of Outlook Groups, it's going off of OneDrive for Business. So there's a there's a whole provisioning it does to kind of make it so that it's usable out of the box from a demo perspective. So the Android app on its own won't run without the, the provisioning website being run in your tenant to kind of create all the sample data that it requires. But um, yeah, there's some great samples out there and it's great that we've got that ability to kind of run these things without too much of a pain now um, for these Android developers. So um, what was your favorite one out and what one one out of this hacker form? Yeah, well, they're one and the same. So um, the the winning group was a group called Travelog. It was a group of three guys. And Travelog was basically... What I, the way I've described it is it's kind of a more social and structured mobile version of OneNote. Um, and the idea behind it was is these guys, they all worked for the same company and their company would send them to something like AndDevCon or they'd send them like to some sort of trip. And they wanted to basically take shared notes. So, you know, OneNote does that really well. And, um, you know, in this case, what, what they were doing was... Um, they had a, a mobile app where they could go and capture photos, capture notes. And um, in a sense, it, would, it used OneNote as the data store behind the scenes. Now, it had all these additional API hooks so they could go and look at their contacts list and share that OneNote with a contact. Oh, nice. It, it pulled in profile pictures for all the users. So it was a really well, I mean, they did a really good job on the user interface of it. Um, it, it looked like a very well-polished application. And then one of the other interesting things they did, um, if you've worked with our OneNote APIs, it be, OneNote basically uses um, its HTML. Now, it's kind of modified HTML. So if, if I insert an image, the way it references the image is a little bit different. And so one of the interesting things they did is they said, well, because this isn't perfect, like just regular HTML5, when they would go and get pages to display it in the mobile app, they actually built their own like OneNote parser. So they were actually parsing the page so that they could display it and make it look good in a mobile in a mobile device. And so I, in all, it was really impressive what they accomplished in 24 hours. Um, really impressive. Yeah, and the, like the responsive design of the mobile app was really nice as well. The way the images grew and shrunk as you scrolled down and all the different things you'd expect from an Android app were done. So it was really nice to see that integration with the OneNote APIs. And as you say, like using OneNote as a content store is a really interesting idea. I know it's something that Gareth Jones did at Build two years ago, in actual fact, where they were doing like this music collection type OneNote notebook, which was being stored in OneNote, but had a presentation layer in web and mobile. So it's great to see other people picking up on that idea and concept as well. Yeah, we'll, we'll hopefully have a link to this because um, all of our hackathon entries always, one of the requirements is to create a YouTube video. Right, go check this out. I mean, it to me, it's a really impressive example of what a group can get done in 24 hours. Yeah. I mean, because it's, it is really well polished and it calls, I would say, a dozen different APIs at least. Yeah. And and so from dev.office.com, there's the hackathons link, which you can get to, or just forward slash hackathons. And from there, we've listed all the hackathons we've run. And they link off to these devpost.com kind of areas. And you can see all the submissions there. And when you click on the submissions, like for instance, this travelog one, you actually even, as well as watching the YouTube video, you can actually go and jump into the GitHub source repository and, and start to see how their code is written where they called these APIs. So as an Android developer, it's a great reference point if you want to like see how someone else has handled the APIs and bound them to objects in the, the kind of the UI stack of, of Android, which is cool. Yep. What, what other one really stuck out for you? You know, to be quite honest, the, we had um, of the other ones, there was kind of four that all, in my mind, they were all pretty similar um, in caliber. Uh, they all did pretty um, cool things. 
Uh, and so I, we, we basically picked a first place. I mean, the travel log team was a clear first place, but I would say all the other ones were kind of tied. So I'll just talk about them all really quickly. High Office 365 was a team that, what they basically did was they built a basic email client, but they used it as, they said, let's see if we can't use email as like um, a back end for instant messaging. And, and you, we might snicker at that, but interestingly, the Outlook team that's right. actually created an app recently called Send, and that's what it did. It was Send was just a, a way that you could write really quick little messages, and it used email as the engine for, for delivering that. And that's kind of what these guys did. Um, it was just a really simple. You'd go select contacts. You could send them a short message. Um, and, it was, and you could also do some individual or group emailing as part of it. Um, and so that was kind of neat. Another one did some, uh, some integration with both email and, and contacts. And what they did is you basically could go and search your contacts for birthdays. Now, I'm really unorganized with my, my contacts. I don't keep things like birthdays. But if you're someone that is, you know, working in sales, that's probably a more important thing. So you know who your customer, when your customer birthdays are. And the idea behind this is, it would every day it would give you notifications of here are the people in my contacts list that have birthdays today, um, and they would give you the ability to go and message them, send them a special message. So that was kind of neat. Um, you know, obviously we get things like birthdays from Facebook contacts, but that's not necessarily doesn't necessarily fit into like a business scenario. Yeah, it's not like you want all of your customers to be added on Facebook. That's for sure. Yep. There was another one called that built a project called OneDrive Album Albumizer, and uh, I found this interesting because I've done the exact I've built the same project before. Uh, what they wanted to do was, you know, OneDrive for business doesn't necessarily have the best experience for images, whereas the the OneDrive consumer app does. If I go to OneDrive consumer, if I go to like my pictures gallery, you know, it does a really nice job of displaying thumbnails and things like that. What they wanted to do was create a mobile application that would be like a more enhanced picture album for OneDrive for Business. And so that was their back end. And what it did is it went and looked at all the images that were there and provided a better user interface of it. And interestingly, they, they saw some of the same challenges that I saw. Um, we're getting better around the OneDrive APIs to where I can actually get things like thumbnails. But um, images in SharePoint are treated a little bit different than a normal document. Um, and so if you've ever dealt with that, you, you probably know what I'm talking about. But they, um, they did a good job given the constraints. Uh, they had to do more around pulling the full image down uh, and then creating like thumbnails from there. But those APIs are getting better and we're going to be able to support better scenarios. And then the last one, uh, this was kind of an interesting one, it, it was called the, the Dreamed Volunteer. And the idea is uh, you basically could go and look at a group, um, any group that you have in Office 365 or Azure Active Directory. So you could go look at the modern groups, like the unified groups, or like a security group or a distribution group. Go pull that down. It could basically pull out all the members, and then you could do a random selector for a member. So here's a good example of how I could see this being used. If, you know, if I was on the office dev TPM team with you and Sonia and Rob, and we all go out to lunch and we want to play credit card roulette, instead of that, <laughs> I could just pull up this app and it would show me the members. I could say, select a member and it would randomly select someone. And that maybe that person's responsible for pulling together the TPS report for the week, or maybe they're responsible for picking up lunch. But it was basically a select random selector for a member out of a group. Right. So, and any Active Directory group? I believe so. Uh, the I haven't gone deep into what they're doing from uh, code, but it looked like it worked on at least security groups and unified groups. That's pretty useful. Definitely for the credit card roulette. Not that we'd play that every time. I mean, clearly, you just pick up the tab wherever we go. Right, right. Hopefully, my manager is not listening. <laughs> no one wants to use that expense tool that's for sure <laughs> um so that that was really cool i mean it again it's interesting to see what the difference is between mobile developers just consuming our apis um did you have anyone ask about um, extensibility of office in any of the android word powerpoint excel outlook add-in like applications it, you know it didn't really come up we 
we scoped the hackathon a little bit differently. If yeah. it had just been, you know, do anything with uh, with Office 365 extensibility, I think maybe we would have seen some people interested in that. In, in, interestingly, I saw several groups after we did the kickoff to the hackathon, we pointed them to some of the getting started resources. I saw teams that were working on, there was one group that was working on an Angular solution and one group that was working on a Node solution. Wow, okay. Uh, and, I, and I told them, I was like, yeah, you know, the, the challenge is really to integrate it in an Android app. And they're like, yeah, that's fine. We really just want to, you know, this is kind of my my language of, my, my kind of primary language. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I wanted to still participate in terms of like learning the API and getting my hands dirty with it. And right. so I thought that was pretty interesting uh, to still have a few people. They didn't submit just because it wouldn't have qualified. Yeah, yeah. But there were a few that still did some of things on, um, you know, doing web applications. Yeah, it's pretty amazing just flicking through the Play Store on my Android device around, you know, like productivity apps, Excel and Word and um, Office Lens and PowerPoint are all in there. And obviously Sunrise, which we're merging back in. And and so, you know, it, I think as we get more usage across the mobile versions of Office and we get the extensibility that we have right now in uh, the online versions and the Windows and Mac versions of Office to things like the Android version, it'll be really exciting to see what people do. And obviously, you know, we have it already in the iPad version. We're seeing a lot of traction there in the enterprise where people have already got kind of remote teleworking users that don't have laptops and are just using iPads for email and their browser to access systems, be able to put your business systems directly into things like Word within the iPad version of Word is a really compelling story as well. So be exciting to see how we can do that next time at a hackathon once we have that support in Android Office as well. Yep. Okay, so from a SharePoint Stockholm perspective, we actually had eight submissions. So I'm not going to go through all of those. But SharePoint.com, again, uh, web web development audience primarily. Um, Everyone jumped at building an add-in using uh, the office client except for two i think it was two teams that kind of went went away from that because of their expertise in in sharepoint specifically the first one of them bring up was actually team docs which was uh, malin de silva who um, built this whole like office add-in sharepoint add-in leveraging sharepoint 2013 workflows for doc reviews directly in in the context of uh, a document you've got going and having like this business workflow that pushed through that the um, the visibility when you open the doc in the task pane of what state that workflow was in and what actions and activities were available. And, and to, to your point earlier on, like to be able to do this in 24 hours is pretty incredible. He came runner-up in the, in the hackathon. Um, primarily the feedback we got from the judges, I was one of those judges, was that the technology-wise, the, the hackathon instance was absolutely amazing. And from a business perspective, it was there. And um, it would have been improved a little bit if he'd have gone to the distance of focusing a bit more on the user experience because it was, it did look like a dev had built it. So technically it was just, you know, really spot on. Anyway, Malin actually reached out to me and he'd actually gone and applied the Office UI fabric over the top of the add-in in Office and sent me screenshots of what it looked like after he'd applied the Office UI fabric. And it was pretty incredible how different that looked from a perception perspective for an end user in using that add-in. So, um, yeah, the top work for, from that team doc scenario there. And again, there's a whole YouTube video that kind of shows and he actually open sourced all his code as well as part of that hack. So definitely worth looking at that. If you're doing any kind of business process and you want to want in context kind of workflow directly in your word document, um, it's really useful scenario that I know comes up a lot within organizations. So that was a, that was a one guy team. Yeah. And that was the other amazing part. It was one person. He sat there quietly the whole time. He very rarely had questions and just kind of churned through with his, uh, existing knowledge of um, the SharePoint APIs and kind of the only thing that we had to kind of point to, which was your blog actually, was how to call the SharePoint APIs from an app Office add-in and handle the um, the authentication. One one thing I'll point out there, just I'll pause for a moment, is I had a few people come up to me and say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm going to work on this on my own. Do you guys judge like more heavily for a team that, like a, a team of developers versus one developer? And 
And we're not going to, we're not really looking at that when we judge these hackathons. It's truly based upon how innovative and creative you are with what you build. But it's a good example. The team of three that worked on that one Android app that worked, that won, you know, they are able to split that load up. So you have some people that are working on building a great user interface. You might have some that work on the API. And I just think you're going to accomplish more. Um, and so, you know, certainly you can do these hackathons by yourself, uh, but I think you have a better chance of having kind of the full complete story when you um, get together with a team. Yeah, I think you can get a lot more done breaking it up, especially if you have someone who maybe is doing your back end and then another one that's doing the like the front end UI stuff and someone who's going to be there to do kind of the marketing pitch and get the YouTube video and the, the dev post page put together so that... Because at the end of the day, that's what the judges are looking at. We, we really don't have time to do code reviews every single project. Yep. Um, so it is really about how you present the end hack at the end of the uh, 24 hours as well. And my favorite one from the SharePoint Europe one, which I know we've mentioned on a previous show, was what was called the Delve Classifier. And there was a bunch of guys, there was actually four people on this team that put this together. And essentially what they did was, again, it was a word add-in, but what it did was it looked at the URL of the Word document where it was stored in OneDrive and SharePoint and it allowed you to basically tag using the Delve tags your document from within the document. So one of the things you can do if you go to Delve through your web UI or via your mobile application is as your documents that you modify come up on your profile, your about me of like Jeremy's working on such and such document, from Delve, you can actually tag things and pin them to boards. Well, what they did was a flip side, which is I'm editing the document. I want to be able to categorize my document based on Delve tags without leaving the Word document, which is one of the big compelling reasons why you'd build a an add-in in the first place within Word. So they went away, and right now, those APIs, they're available, but we haven't done a very good job of documenting them because they're being used by Delve directly, but they're not necessarily you know, full public supported APIs. So they went away and worked out what APIs they were calling and then actually built in that tagging API approach. They also have published all that on GitHub as well. So if you're doing anything with Dell, then you'd like to kind of consider that stuff. It's definitely worth looking at that. It's something that I would guess we'll probably do out of the box in the product at some point in Word and PowerPoint and Excel, but it's really nice to see that type of kind of crossover between what the Delve APIs provide and what you can do within our office client. I love seeing the community building, like getting ahead of us, you know, like like actually building the add-in before we're able to introduce that. Another yep. good example was um, one of the it's one of the Power BI MVPs actually built um, an office add-in for PowerPoint so that you could display That's right. your your Power BI visuals inside of PowerPoint. Um, and if, what's funny is I, my understanding is Satya saw it and he was like, why isn't this in PowerPoint to begin with? You know, yeah. and it's, it's a good example of the community, you know, being able to take what we're doing and actually getting ahead of us on some of these things. Yeah, it's, it's pretty cool to see that. And, and it's nice to it puts people in that headspace of being a product manager on one of our own products as well and thinking about how you could improve it. And the fact we have this extensibility layer now that allows them to do it. Um, is, is really compelling for them to get, get going. And, you know, that's how a lot of our partner ecosystem um, was successful, especially in the SharePoint world where, you know, things weren't quite right out of the box with SharePoint or they wanted a, a richer experience and partners have built products that sit on top of that experience and, and sold them to make them better. Now, the danger of that, obviously, as a partner is, is you always got to be one step ahead and rely realize that at some point it might be out of the box and be able to duck and weave as as things become out of the box, which means you're less competitive and you've got to be up and coming with the next thing. But um, it's really cool to see the ecosystem doing that for sure. And then another one, which again was inside Word. Word was very popular in Europe, it appeared, was um, this ability to kind of have a Word add-in in the task pane that, again, logged into Office 365, so they were using your your blog article, Rich, to do this. And in this case, they often using Azure AD Auth and they were calling the Video Portal API. And what they'd realized, and I didn't know you could even do this with Word, but in Word, you can actually embed a YouTube video into a Word document. Now, it's not going to make sense when you print it, but it does mean you can embed um, a YouTube video, and you actually play it directly from inside Word. And so they worked out what the -the out-of-the-box embed was doing when it embedded YouTube, and reverse engineered the open XML, which is kind of the core underlying language of the each individual document instance, 
and they allowed you to kind of navigate through all your videos in your video portal hosted in Office 365 and embed those into the document. So you could play your Office 365 videos directly inside a Word document. So again, you know, that's probably something we'll do out of the box at some point or the video portal team will have maybe native support for as an add-in that's a Microsoft add-in. But it was really neat for, to see them kind of exploring those APIs. And again, they've shared all their code in their GitHub repo as well. So that was really cool to see too. Cool. So um, there are more of those, but just in essence of time, I wanted to kind of cover three that I thought were really, really exciting. And um, you can go and steal those at dev.office.com slash hackathons. Um, and one other thing we did mention it last week, but I just want to reiterate it was uh, we do have a hack productivity virtual event that was launched on the 23rd of November. Um, gives you three months to submit. We've got till March 1st. There's a deadline there. Um, and you can get to that through um, msoffice365.devpost.com. So if you can't make one of these events that we're running in person, like we have done with SharePoint Europe and, oh, sorry, the European SharePoint Conference or and DevCon or Angular Connect, you can actually go to this one from a virtual event and submit it. Now, you know, again, tips, teams work better than individuals, but I guess because you've got three months, that might not be an issue. Now, last week, I know we had 85 participants. Um, I can now see this week we have 166 people registered for this this hackathon. So it's heating up a little bit. Do you want to just quickly walk through the prizes, Rich, of what, what the goodies they can win based on um, if they if they get awarded any of these different categories? Yeah, so, I mean, it's from a prizes standpoint, th- this is pretty significant. You know, we had some big prizes for some of the other hackathons. I know at TechCrunch Disrupt, we had something like $10,000 in cash prizes. This one is about 33000 dollars in in prizes. So, a grand prize is... $10,000 cash, you get tickets to a Microsoft conference of your choice, you get some meetings with some bigwigs at Microsoft, you get Surface products. I mean, it's it's basically the the kitchen sink when it comes to, to prizes, everything from cash to conferences and more. Uh, but as you go down, it, it stays good. I mean, it's it's $5,000 for second prize. Third prize is, is $2,500. And again, this includes some meetings with some Microsoft folks. It includes Surface products. Um, and then there's some interesting kind of what I would call specific like categorized awards. So there's things for like the best personal productivity application, you know, the best student application, best uh, pre-coded app ideas. So there's all these different uh, kind of niche areas that you can qualify for you know, $1,500 prizes and, and more in certain cases. Yeah, I am really excited to see what comes out of this one with a longer time frame. I know we mentioned before that, you know, there will be the usual suspects here that are doing a lot of the hackathons on devpost.com. But, you know, I think having this level of audience is going to really bring out the big guns on the scenarios they're going to put together on this. So um, I'm really pumped to see What's going on there for sure? I want to. I want to enter. Can I? Are we not eligible? I know T- the ten grand's good, man. Maybe we can just kind of like submit as different people. We could use like you could go as your wife, and um, I could get CJ. Yeah, we could totally do that. I mean, we we could we can invent whole new personas. That's right. That's right. I will be Garth Fort or <laughs> yeah, <laughs> one of one of our demo users. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, yes, Garthorpe. I met him. He actually exists. Uh, well, all those names exist. So for those that are listening and don't know what we're talking about, to if, if we do a demo at Microsoft, we're supposed to use a legal approved fictitious name and you actually have to go through a process of getting your name approved. So we'll use these like fictitious people like Garth Fort and Pat Coleman and Roland Hoffman and all these people in there. They're all legal approved, but they're actually real Microsoft employees. So every once in a while, we'll meet like the real, uh, you know, Garth Ford or something like that. <laughs> it shows you that I don't do that. And I just use my own tenant because I don't know any of those names other than Garth Thor and Katie, Katie, whatever it is. Yeah. Cool. Well, um, I'm really excited. I'm hoping this inspires you guys who are listening to jump in and get the team together. Um, It is virtual, so you don't even have to have them in the same kind of org or same team you're working with at work. You could reach out to people by the Twitterverse or Facebook or people you know that are elsewhere in the world and get the team together. I mean, all you need is a killer idea and um, someone who's 
can is good enough to market and pitch it on the dev post page you do when you do a submission and 10 grand that's i can think of a few things i'd want to do with 10 grand that's for sure yeah update my lousy monitors i have in my office would be the first thing i'd do for sure <laughs> cool well again thanks very much rich i appreciate your time and um enjoy the rest of your week of slogging away at code yep i'm actually gonna um, walk through your step-by-step guide on android to see how i go building an android app now i have my new android device too cool do it sweet all right well um enjoy the week guys and we'll see you next week for more office 365 goodness thanks for listening guys and girls make sure you check out dev.office.com for all of our other podcasts and all of our amazing resources you can also check here for more information on our developer program we can get a one year three developer tenant to stop building against the office 365 platform we're always here to chat with you on the Office 365 technical network on aka.ms slash office365devpodcastyam. Or you can follow us on Office Dev on both Twitter and Facebook. So until next week, guys, get coding. Get coding.